Very few other sins do we make light of like we do the sin of worry. But we do make light of the sin of worry. It's just who I am. I'm just a worry wart. I'm a parent. That's what I do is worry, right? Well, last week in Luke's Gospel, in Luke chapter 12, we dealt with the subject, as the Lord presented it, of covetousness. What we covet within our lives, Jesus gives to us the parable of the, of the rich fool who stored up and wanted to build new barns to store the grain that he had received. And the Lord said to him, you're a fool. Your soul is going to be required of you this very night. And so he was living for things and for stuff. And this week we come in Luke chapter 12, beginning in verse 22, to the counterpart to coveting. It is the sin of worry. The two are tied explicably together with one another. Worry and coveting go together somehow like a hand in a glove. Greed or, or coveting comes along because we can never get enough. And worry is afraid that when we get it, it may not be enough. And so we bounce back and forth between coveting and worry with one another. Just to provide for you some literary uh, dealings with worry... Arthur Summers Roche said, Worry is a thin stream of fear trickling through the mind. If encouraged, it cuts a channel into which all other thoughts are drained. Irma Bombeck once said that worry is like a rocking chair. It gives you something to do, but it never gets you anywhere. John J. Chapman, the author, said, People get so in the habit of worry that if you save them from drowning and put them on a bank to dry in the sun with hot chocolate and muffins, they wonder whether they are catching a cold. That's the way some of us are. We worry from one situation to another. And in that, in that scenario in which we live, Jesus speaks to us. Look at what he says in Luke chapter 12, beginning in verse 22. And he said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? If you then are not able to do as small a thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today and is tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? Do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Fear not, little flock. For it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell all your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches, no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be 
also. And so we see what our Lord has to say to us about anxiety, about worry. When Jesus preached the Sermon on the Mount that we looked at earlier in Luke's Gospel, we, we read about it in Matthew's Gospel as well, in Matthew chapter 6. When Jesus preached that sermon, He gave more space to the issue of worry than He did to the issue of murder, of reconciliation, of adultery, of divorce, of love, of giving, of fasting, of money, of judging others. In fact, there is only one topic in the Sermon on the Mount that is talked about more than worry, and it is the topic of prayer. There's a powerful truth right in that, I believe. Nothing mitigates more against prayer than worry, and nothing mitigates more against worry than prayer. And so this morning as we unpack what Jesus says to us in Luke's Gospel chapter 12, I want us to see several things together this morning. And beginning, I want us to see Jesus' arguments against worry. He says to not be anxious, and then he gives his reasonings for us to not be anxious. He says, here are the arguments as to why you need not worry. And in essence, Jesus is saying that the antidotes to worry are truth, and faith. Look again at what he says. He, he gives four arguments within this. Let's look at each of them very, very quickly. The first argument is found in verse 24, where he tells us about the ravens. Consider the ravens. They don't sow, nor do they reap. They, have, they don't have a storehouse. They don't have a barn, and yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? Here are these birds that, that don't have jobs, they don't earn a paycheck, they don't have titles, they don't work at businesses, and yet God provides for them exactly what they need in order to eat. And here's the argument that Jesus gives. If God provides for the birds, God will provide for you. That's the simplistic argument that Jesus offers to us when it comes to this issue of worry. And it is really interesting that Jesus, in confronting our proclivities to worry, he begins to address these things from doctrinal issues. He says, here is the problem that you have. The problem is that you worry, but I want to confront that with doctrine and with truth. And so here's the doctrine or the doctrines that he gives to us to build his argument on from verse 24 considering the ravens. Two doctrines that will remind us how God cares for the ravens and how God will care for us so that we need not worry. These two doctrines that are antidotes to worry within your life. The first one is the providence of God, that God is the one who provides. And then secondly, too, that is the fact that we are created within His image. We are created in the image of God, and therefore we are worth more than the ravens and the birds of the air are. Jesus points to the birds, and He says, do you really believe that God will provide for you? Look at the birds. Look at the birds that are flying around in the air, and from that, do you really believe that God will provide for you? And so you must begin by understanding the providence of God, that God provides for His people. Understand as well that we are created in the image of God, and so we are far more important to God than the birds of the air. You are worth more 
contrary to what many people would have us believe in society today, that, that we're nothing but a, a, an evolutionary advanced animal living upon the planet. No, we are created in the image of God, and because of that, we have more worth than all of those other creatures. God says, if I take care of the birds, will I not likewise take care of you as well? You look at all of that, and the obvious, undeniable conclusion will be from it is that God provides for the birds, and so therefore God will provide for me exactly what I need as well. And when you are facing lack of some sort within your life, and I, I mean serious lack, not the lacks that we like to think of, the newest, the greatest gadget or something of that nature, that goes back to the issue of coveting that we talked about last week. But when there is a serious lack within your life, meditate on the providence of God and how you are created in His image. Meditate upon that until you believe it. Pray over it in your mind until it takes hold. And then you will begin to remind yourself, I am created in the image of God. He provides for His own. That's argument number one. Look at the birds. They're cared for by God. Argument number two comes along in verse 25. Which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? What's the argument here that Jesus makes? The argument is very simply this. Worry is ineffectual. Worry doesn't work. Heard about a preacher that was preaching on worry, and he began to expound to the congregation, you do understand that 90% of what you worry about never comes to pass. So what does that tell you? One little old smart aleck lady in the back stood up and said, well, it must work then if it doesn't happen. No, that's not the way this happens. Worry is ineffectual. Worry is ineffective. It doesn't work at all. We, can't, we come into a situation that we can't do anything about and so do we do. What do we do? Well, I guess I'll worry about it then. What does that accomplish? What does it bring about within your life? Jesus says, hey, that doesn't work. It doesn't do anything. It doesn't change your situation. By worry, you cannot add even one single hour to your life. Here's the doctrinal truth within all of this. If you, verse 26, are not able to do as small a thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? The doctrinal truth. When you are in a situation where you, your human lack is evident, where you see your own human weakness, where you see the finite nature of your humanity, the answer is not to worry. The answer is to rest in the sovereignty of God. It's the doctrine that Jesus uses to confront our worry with. He says, do not worry, but rest in the sovereignty of God so that every experience in your life that points to your finite nature, it in the same time points to the infinite nature of God. Every situation in your life that points to your own limitations points to His lack of limitations. Every circumstance in your life that points to your weakness points to His power at the same time. Meditate on His sovereignty. You cannot add a single hour to your life. But God in His sovereignty, if He so chooses to, can. So argument number one, God provides for the birds, He'll take care of you. The doctrine, the providence of God, created in the image of God, God cares for you even more than He cares for the birds of the air. 
Argument number two, worry is ineffective in life. The great doctrine of, of, of Christianity that combats that is the fact that God is sovereign and he's in control. Argument number three, look at verse 27. Consider the lilies, Jesus says, how they grow. They don't toil, they don't spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. See, here's a great thing about God. One of many. God did not just, just make this world functional. He made this world beautiful. Have you been driving around lately and seen spring begin? The trees that begin to explode with color. The flowers that, that begin to make their way up to the surface of the ground. Have you begun to see the beauty of God's creation? God didn't just make this world functional. He made it beautiful. And he did that even though this world is temporary. It's not going to last forever. And yet God still made it beautiful. If God will make lavish provision and clothe his earth in beauty, even though it's transient, even though it's temporary, even though it doesn't last, don't you think he's worried about clothing you as well? You who will last. You who do have an eternity. What is the doctrinal truth that combats our worry within all of this? It is simply this, that God is generous. God is providential. We are made in the image of God. God is sovereign. God is generous. And let's, let's think about this in, in, in thinking about what we looked at last week with the topic of coveting uh, and, and what all that entails within our lives and how our hearts are really revealed within this. The person who struggles with coveting, that would be you and me. Raise your hand. We all admit that we struggle with coveting. We do. You have things that you covet. I have things that I covet. It is inherent within our human nature. There are things that we don't have that we want or things that someone else has that we want. Really and truly, when we, when we engage in this sin of coveting, what we're really saying is that we believe God is stingy when we get right down to it. We believe that God is stingy and he withholds goodness from us when in reality God is incredibly opulent. He is lavish and he is generous within his giving to the point that he cares about the aesthetics of this world that he made that's going to pass away. And he put the trees and the flowers and the grass and all of this around that is so beautiful and so gorgeous. And Jesus is saying to us, do you believe that God would make such lavish provision for the grass and yet he won't make provision for you? That's not the way God works. He's generous. Argument number one, look at the ravens. They can't take care of themselves, yet God provides for them. Why? Because he is providential. He provides for his creation. And we are created in the image of God, and therefore we are worth more even than the ravens, the birds of the air. Argument number two, worry is ineffective. We can't add an hour to our life by worrying about anything. 
So we trust in the sovereignty of God. That's the doctrine that cures worry within our lives, that God is sovereign, God is in control. We can trust Him for what we need. Argument number three, look at the lilies in the fields. The doctrine that combats worry for us is the gracious generosity of God who gives to us in His mercy. And then in verse 29, we have the fourth argument that is given. And do not seek what you are to eat, what you are to drink, nor be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. In, in just these two verses, there are three great doctrinal truths that Jesus gives to us to remind us that we need not worry. First of all, the fatherhood of God. Your Father knows that you need them. God is your Father. If you know Him through Jesus Christ, He is your Father. Do you know of a good Father who doesn't care whether or not His children have something to eat? Do you know of a good father who isn't concerned with whether or not his children are clothed? Do you know of a good father who's not concerned with whether or not his children have a place to lay their heads at night? He is a good father. And we see the goodness of God coming out with this as well. In the fatherhood of God, He is better than any earthly father we could have ever had. Some of you had amazingly good fathers throughout your life. Think of how good God is that He surpasses even the goodness of that father. Some of you did not have good fathers in this life. Think about how God, your heavenly Father, corrects all that your earthly father was unable to do. Luke chapter 11, just a chapter earlier than where we are, we read this, What father among you, Jesus asks, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? He is good. He's a good Father. He's a gracious Father. So we see the fatherhood of God, the goodness of God. And then thirdly in these verses, we see the omniscience of God. Your Father knows that you need them. He's aware of what you need. He's aware of what's going on in your life. He's aware of what's happening. And so Jesus just piles up these arguments, these reasons, and he piles up these doctrines right beside each of them, and he says, you've got to believe these things. You've got to have faith in me. I'm telling you this. These things are true. You have to believe them. That God is providential. That God is good. That God is your Father. That God is sovereign. That God cares for you. And that you begin to live in those doctrinal truths. 
They begin to counteract against the worry in which you live your life. Fight against worry with the truth of God and with faith in that truth. Fight in that faith that God has promised. Faith in what God has said. That's why we spend so much time here working together to make sure we understand what God teaches us in His Word about Himself. Because it's all designed to help us in this fight against sin. These are the arguments against worry. And it's interesting that they're all doctrinal arguments. Because doctrine matters. What you believe matters. And Jesus says these doctrines combat your worry with truth. Hold on to them. Meditate upon them. Believe them. Never let them go. Then Jesus in verse 31 gives us the correction to worry. Not just the arguments against worry, but the correction to worry as well. When he says this, instead seek his kingdom and these things will be added to you. Fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. This is extraordinary. This is is monumental. Do you get what Jesus is saying here in these verses? What he is saying is this. When you are worrying, really your problem is that you are focused on settling for too little. That's what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying, you're focused on settling for too little. You don't want enough when you're worrying. What what you're worried about not getting or worried about getting is too little because even if you got what you set your heart on, it would not satisfy you. It won't rid you of worry. It won't give you joy. You've discovered it to be true, haven't you? The latest thing, I just have to have this, I need this. And you go out and you get this, and for a moment there is joy and excitement, and then it's gone. It becomes almost like a drug. For a moment I felt it, and then it's gone. So let me try again. And then we get to the point where we worry about what we don't have. We worry about getting what we don't have. Jesus says that the correction to that is to set your sights much higher. Because see, if your heart is set on anything less than God and His kingdom, your desires are never going to be fulfilled. C.S. Lewis put it this way. He said, It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer, offer of a vacation at the beach. Jesus pounded it so I, I want the bigger house. And God says, I want to give you a kingdom. I want the new lesson. 
citizen, God says, I want to give you a kingdom. I want a smarter husband. And God says, I want to give you a kingdom. I want a better looking wife. And God says, I want to give you a kingdom. I want to be important. And God says, I want to give you a kingdom. Why do you settle for this stuff? He wants to give you far more than you have your heart set on. So Jesus is saying, make sure you want what God made you for. Not something less. Quit worrying about the lesser things and focus on the greater things, the things of the kingdom of God. That's the correction to our worry. Forget about this stuff. Put your focus on the kingdom of God and see what God does. And then he closes reminding us of the fight against worry. Verse 33 Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. You see, what we worry about is where our treasure is. Uh, I, I know we read these verses and we say, oh, we, 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 we don't have to deal with those verses about selling our possessions and, and giving away. We don't, we don't need to worry about those things. God would never ask me to do that. Why not? Why, why wouldn't he ask us to do that? You see, we worry so much about the stuff of this world. So it almost kind of makes sense that if we didn't have that stuff, what would we worry about? Jesus has made some astounding statements in his ministry. If, if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. If your hand causes you to sin, destroy it, cut it off. Yes, we know there is allegorical application to that. Sometimes I think we settle even for the allegory rather than the clear meaning of the text as well. What does Jesus really mean by this? Well, what he means is stop living for the stuff of this world. and Be generous with the stuff you have. Being generous does a couple of things in our lives. Number one, it reminds us that God has provided for us generously so that we're able to give some away. In other words, we have been blessed so that we can be a blessing to others. Secondly, it reminds us that the stuff we're giving away isn't really where our joy is anyway. It reminds us that our real joy comes from God and who He is. In, in the fight against worry in our lives, quite honestly, we just need to simply learn to be generous. To take some time to just focus on someone else. Give your time, give your attention, give your prayers, give your material possessions. It's interesting that 
let, let me just make a personal application here. I, I don't want to throw stones in case they don't, uh, don't apply to you. I have a feeling they might apply to all of us, but let me just put it on me. It's interesting that as I read through this passage, I find myself so heartedly agreeing with everything in it until verse 33 shows up. Oh, it's, it's glorious that God provides for the birds and that he's going to provide for me. I don't have to worry because God's going to take care of me. It is magnificent that God is sovereign over my life, even the span of it, and will take care of me. It is incredible that God adorns the flowers of the field and will take care of me. It is awesome that God is fatherly and generous and omniscient in his care toward me. And then he comes along and he says, give. Whoa, God, wait a minute. I like that part, God, where you're going to take care of me. I like that part, God, where you're going to meet my needs. Why, why is it that we stick so much on this? Why is it that we come to verse 33 where Jesus says, sell your possessions and give to the needy and say, okay, let me find a way to interpret this so that it doesn't really mean that in my life. Why do we do that? I think maybe the reason that I do that is because my heart's consumed with the stuff of this world. Isn't it true that we have a tendency to think in terms of the material, tangible stuff we fail to think in terms of the spiritual? I mean, think about it today. Let's just think about this. God provides. God takes care. God is omniscient. God is sovereign. He's good. But are there Christians in the world today who are hungry? Sure. Do, do we have brothers and sisters around the world who do not have adequate shelter or clothing today? Absolutely. Do we have brothers and sisters around the world who are being persecuted for our faith? Absolutely. Do you remember at the end of last year I shared with you the church in China? The Chinese government came in and arrested the pastors and most of the members of that congregation. If you do, you may remember that the next week I shared with you as the doors to the church were closed, that the people were so intent on worshiping God together with one another that even though a good number of them had been arrested and placed in prison, the rest of them met outside the church building to worship God and to sing and praise Him together. I know I'm preaching to the choir this morning. Thank you for being here. But I look at faith like that. Many of those people, including the pastors, are still in prison.
And when we have discussions as a church family on scheduling events, hey, it's race weekend, don't do anything. UT's got a home game. They're not scheduling anything that weekend. It wasn't in my notes. This is why I should always stick to my notes. Yeah, we've got brothers and sisters around the world that are dying for their faith. We say, well, obviously God's let them down, hasn't he? <laughs> no. Because they're much like Jesus said in Matthew chapter 4, verse 4, when Satan came to tempt him, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Our physical food may be taken from us, but the word of God never can. God still clothes them, even if it is not with the raiment of the lilies of the field. Isaiah chapter 61, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall exult in my God, for He has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom decks himself like a priest with a beautiful headdress, and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. In Christ we are clothed. Friends, this is what it's all about. You see, the reason that we look at this and we say God is not giving them what they need is because we have convinced ourselves that what we need is the stuff of this temporary, passing, fading world. We've not reminded ourselves that what we need is the spiritual. What we need is the eternal. What we need are the very things of God. So we think God has failed when that happens, and He has never failed. As Paul says in Romans chapter 8, He who did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us, how will He not also with Him graciously give us all things? The one who has provided the greater salvation in Jesus, he will provide the lesser as well. The problem may very well be that we think we need what really we do not need. God is spending a lifetime on us saying, I need you to understand what you really need. It's not the stuff you think you need. It's me, my kingdom. Seek his kingdom. And these things will be added to you. What are you seeking in your life? See, you can really find out what it is you're seeking when you look at what you worry about. What you worry about is what you're seeking. Material gain, affirmation, attention, impression. What is it? What is it that really grips your heart and my heart? Will we be satisfied? Will we be content with what God gives? Even if we thought we needed something. 
Father, this day we thank you. We thank you for the correction to our own worrisome spirit. That that we worry about so much. And yet your kingdom, your character, seem to be far from us. Father, would you correct that within our lives? As you have shown us from your word the arguments against worrying, your, your, your character, your nature, and how who you are overcomes those very things. Father, would you help us just to run to you and trust you and lean upon you in those moments? Father, it is the scariest of thoughts to pray. Do what it takes to move my eyes off of this world and onto you. But in love and grace, would you do that for us? That we might just simply seek your kingdom. We might trust your character. You are a good father. Help us to trust you in spite of what everything in this world and even everything in our own nature says. Help us to trust you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I invite you to stand this morning. As you stand, we sing together. Maybe the Lord's spoken to your heart about something. Maybe maybe you need to think about your own relationship with the Lord. Whether you even have a relationship with the Lord. Maybe you'd like to know what that means, what that looks like to be saved, to be a follower of Christ. We'd love to have that conversation with you. If you're thinking about that, we'd invite you. You can just slip out and you can meet me here and say, hey, I need to know what that means. Maybe you'd like to know more about what it means to be a member of this church. Whatever it is, as the Lord speaks to your heart as we speak.